in the book of Acts. Uh, if you don't have, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible and would like a Bible, there, like towards our, our exits when you leave the building, there are Bibles there. There, I think they're a blue cover. Man, we would love to need to order new Bibles. So if you want a Bible, please take one of those. But if you do have a Bible with you, um, you can open up to the book of Acts. And in Acts, we have seen uh, significant opposition to the gospel really right away. And, and then we'll see it all the way through uh, the, the end of Acts here. There's opposition to the gospel. There's opposition to the early church, uh, to, to Christians, very specifically to Paul. Um, and historically, since the church began, that has continued globally. Now, the Western world, um, we have not faced what so many sisters and brothers in Christ uh, across the globe face today, right? We don't, we don't see uh, the physical violence, or at least not very often the physical violence in the West, right? We don't see uh, public execution of Christians in the West like we've seen um, even in recent years across the globe. But at the same time, we can accurately say that opposition to Christianity is growing in the West. Uh, the Pope, just a handful of years ago, he labeled it as uh, polite persecution that we see in the West. And I think that's a, that's a good way to describe it on, on the spectrum of persecution with violence all the way over here. I'm on stage. I should do it the opposite way. With violence all the way over here um, and, and, and uh, pressure, but, but not violence against Christians over here. You know, you know we're, we're on this end of, of persecution compared to the rest of the globe. Um, but we feel, uh, we felt that pressure for years, subtly, uh, kind of under, underground um, against Christianity. Um, but in more recent years, uh, I think we're, we're seeing it uh, more out in, in, in your face. Maybe not all the time. Sometimes it still is very subtle. Uh, but today we continue uh, to watch Paul as he faces opposition, um, not because he's broken a law, uh, or, or tried to start a revolt, but because he loves Jesus and he preaches the gospel of, of grace like we've sung about today. Um, so we're going to see three ways that Paul handled himself in, um, in an environment that was hostile toward the gospel. Um, and we're going we're gonna to start in verse 22 of chapter 22 today. But let me remind you where we were just a couple weeks ago. Last week was Easter. We did something different. We were in John 20 last week. So Two weeks ago, um, Matt ended in uh, 22:21, and, and so w what happened was Paul was sharing his testimony, right? How how Jesus had revealed Himself to him, what what Jesus had done, and, and then verse 21 ends this way. It says, "And he said to me, Jesus, uh, speaking to Paul, he says, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles.' So then we pick up in verse 22 here. Up to this word, they listened to him." Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. 
So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune, who also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring desiring to know the reason uh, why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest uh, Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak of, uh, speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. There, then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So we'll get back to verse 22. We're picking up again where we left off a couple weeks ago. Paul is speaking to uh, the crowd, and he's testifying to uh, Jesus revealing himself to him. Now, Paul's doing this in Aramaic, so the crowd understands him, but the Romans who are about to imprison him, they don't know what's going on. They, They don't understand. The crowd loses their mind when Paul says that, that Jesus, that God said he was sending him to the Gentiles. So there's this great uproar, right? The crowd is shouting, and now they're shouting in Greek. So uh, the Romans can understand, the tribute can understand like a little bit at least of what's going on in, in this great uproar. And they're yelling away with this fellow, right? Just, just like it was yelled about uh, of Jesus. They're yelling, he should not be allowed to live. And, and they're so angry, like they're like violently removing, removing their outer robes and they're, they're flinging dust into the air, symbolic of their disgust and disgust pleasure with Paul. And it is dramatic. Maybe as readers or as hearers, you hear this like dust flinging in the air, and that kind of sounds funny to us um, as we imagine it. But this is intense, right? Like we would flip out differently, but this is how they flipped out in that moment. And the tribune, he instantly recognizes he's got a big problem on his hands, right? He needs to keep this crowd from rioting. He needs to figure out what in the world this Paul guy 
did. Now, earlier, uh, they believed that Paul was this some uh, Egyptian guy who started some other uproar, but now they know, no, that, that's, that's not who Paul is. Paul is a Jew. Um, and legally, um, the Romans, they, they had the right to uh, torture um, someone to find out what they'd done. So, so they were going to do that with Paul. And, and it's interesting, the phrasing here, Luke says, examine him by flogging, meaning they're, they're going to get the information out of him that they want by torturing him. So they would have used this whip, it, it had a handle, it had multiple uh, leather strands coming off of it with like chunks of, of metal or bone uh, or stones in it. And this is just like what they would have used on Jesus. And in fact, scholars uh, wonder if perhaps where Paul was stretched out to be flogged was the exact same place that they did this to Jesus. So they, they would They'd whip the person, and then they would drag that whip across. So it is disgusting. I mean, ripping their flesh. Uh, so a person could end up permanently disabled uh, the rest of their life from this, or, or even some could die from this. And all of this was to find out what in the world Paul did to start such an uproar. So verse 25, Paul turns at nearly the last moment and asks a simple question. He says, he asks, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen that has been uncondemned, right? They knew he was a Jew. They did not suspect that he might be a citizen of Rome. If it's true that he is a Roman citizen, then this is not legal for them to do to a Roman citizen. Um, if I were Paul, I probably would have brought this up way sooner than he did. Um, verse 26 so the tribune is shocked to find out that Paul could be a Roman citizen. Uh, the tribune, we find out he was a citizen. He paid for his citizenship. Um, so this was uh, this is a, a bribe to get uh, to to become a citizen. It was no doubt costly, but Paul didn't have to bribe his way in. He was a citizen by birth. Uh, for many of us or most of us that, that were born in America, my guess is we don't fully appreciate um, how great it is to be a, a citizen by birth here, um, how fortunate we, we are through nothing that we did. We, we were just born in this country, so we, uh, we are a citizen. But some of you immigrated here, or maybe your parents immigrated here, and I'm pretty sure that you uh, have a much greater appreciation than I do of what it means to be a citizen of this country. What a, what a privilege it is. Now, we don't know how Paul proved his citizenship. He must have had some kind of documentation on him that, that did, in fact, show that he was a citizen. And once they realize he's a citizen, they stop what they're about to do because what they were about to do was not legal. So the first way that we see that Paul handled himself was in this hostile environment, is he used his rights. Uh, there are times when Christians absolutely should use the rights that, that, that they have. Right? Paul, as a Roman citizen, he had rights. He, he had a right to not be tortured as a Roman citizen, uncondemned. To us, that's a no-brainer, but that's, that's what's going on here. 
Um, I don't know about you, but over the past handful of years, there have been times when, uh, when I've seen uh, Christians, pockets of, of Christians, really demanding the, the, their, their rights and kind of holding them over. They're kind of almost OCD about their rights. And, and maybe you relate to that, maybe you don't, but it made me a little bit uncomfortable. So then you, you could swing the opposite way of the pendulum and go too far, right? And, and, and say, well, man, didn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Like, like we should never demand our rights, right? Does this, does this mean that we just let ourselves be walked all over or even abused. Look at Jesus. Jesus didn't defend himself. At the same time, Jesus probably isn't the best example here because his mission was to die, right? It was to die for our sins. So Jesus defending himself actually would have been counterproductive to his mission uh, on the cross. So in Jesus' case, not defending himself was for the sake of the gospel. Paul here, in his case, choosing not to defend himself would not have served the gospel cause. It would, have not, it would not have helped the early church. It would have hindered some of those that were new to Christ or even think about who this book, Acts, is written to. It's written to most excellent Theophilus, right? Someone that, that we don't know if he was already a Christian or if he was examining the claims of Christianity. But, but Luke and Paul, they, uh, they keep showing uh, throughout the book of Acts that that. This isn't an anti-Roman religion. They weren't trying to start a revolt. Paul's defense of himself and the gospel will bring the message of Christ, we'll see here in the coming weeks, right into the center of Roman rule. So we should be thankful for rights that we have. Now, no country is perfect, right? Every nation uh, deals with, with wickedness and sin. Right? There are a number of things that we could probably all list off that make us sad about our country. And yet, simultaneously, man, I'm so grateful to be born in the U.S. There's no place that I would rather be. I'm thankful for the rights that we have. Uh, a couple times I've gotten to travel to uh, underdeveloped countries, um, and I walked away Man, really thankful for, for where we are, right? Thankful for things that I usually take for granted, um, but thankful for laws, thankful for, for infrastructure, thankful for clean water, thankful for the police, uh, uh, thankful for the, the U.S. mail system, right? And sometimes we're like, ah, but no, man, like we, there's, there's a structure there where I can drop something in the mail and I'm, I'm reasonably confident it is going to get there, um, but if we stop and look for a moment in our country, we actually see so much common grace that God has given us. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the rights that we have as citizens. And Paul takes advantage of this right that he has as a Roman citizen. And he's doing it for the sake of the gospel. So praise God for legal rights that people have in our country and in countries around the world. And for us, man, specifically, uh, the freedom to worship. Um, I know that lawyers are so often the punchline for jokes in our country, but thank God for good ethical lawyers that really try to protect people and their rights in, in our land. Um, and, and we have rights, right? You, you have rights in the workplace. Uh, students have rights at school. There's this perception in public schools that 
that they can't bring up God, that you can't bring up the Bible or Jesus. But man, that is not the case. Now, teachers, administrators, all the, all the adults in school, they have, uh, they have some restrictions, way more than the students. But students, you can, you can talk about Jesus. You, you, can, uh, you can talk about God. You can talk about what you believe. Uh, there was a court case, uh, I think it was resolved within the last couple years, um, but there was a, a young man who came to Christ, he's on a college campus, not, not like a Bible college, but some secular college, maybe a state school, and uh, he starts just telling people about Jesus, and some people got pretty annoyed and offended by it, so they go to the school, school tries to shut him down, saying, hey, you can't do that, you can't just be out in the open talking about Jesus, and he's like, I'm pretty sure, actually, that I can, and like, no, you, you can't, oh, okay, you can do it in this area of the camp, he's like, no, you actually can't, that's not true, like, we have rights here, and anyway, Eventually, I don't, know, I don't know all the details, but eventually um, he ends up getting lawyers and taking it to court. And, and it just kept going to higher and higher courts. Um, and I think it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And, and they ruled that, yes, Christians and actually all religions like, have, have the opportunity to talk about what they believe. Like That, that is pretty awesome that, that that exists in our country. It's amazing that we can do that. So what, what do we do? Right? Do, we, do we turn the other cheek? Like, when do we make that decision? Or, or when do we stand up for our rights? Right? How do we decide between the two? Well, both Jesus and Paul, like I said, they had the gospel in view. Right? Jesus remained silent because he, he knew that the cross was necessary. Paul knew that he was to testify in Jerusalem, and not just to, to, in Jerusalem, but all the way to Rome. Right? So we, we don't appeal to rights just for the sake of rights, but, but everything that we do should be for the sake of the gospel, right? And let's, let's zoom out for a moment and not even just thinking about our rights, but man, where the gospel ought to infiltrate every part of our lives. And so thinking back through the last few months, maybe the last year, like what impact has the gospel had on decisions that you've made, right? Not just our rights, but, but in, in all the decisions you made this last year, or maybe another way to look at it is, what, what areas of your life do you not let the gospel influence you? Not let the gospel influence your decisions. Because the gospel really should saturate and infiltrate every part of our lives. So I've just been thinking this week, like, man, what, what, what have I told God? Probably not out loud, but just in my heart, like, no, God, this is out of bounds. Like, you can't have this part of my life. Right? And maybe it's, maybe it's your finances. Or maybe it's your career. Or maybe it's a romantic relationship that, that you just know, like, man, this is not what God has for you. Or how about decisions, parents, that you make with your kids? Like, yeah, you're, you're raising them in Jesus, but are, are there areas where, where you're, you're really not letting God tell you, like, this is how you're to raise your children? Or maybe... Um, Maybe it's dreams that you have of, of retiring. Like, how are you letting the gospel influence those dreams? Well, back to rights. Paul's use of rights, it was to further the gospel. So because he was a citizen, he's unbound. The flogging is not going to happen. Verse 30, it's the next morning. Um, probably right away in the morning, he's brought before this council. So Paul is set down before them, and they're still fired up. Like they, it doesn't seem like they've cooled off uh, much since the previous day. So Paul begins his speech 
to the council, and we're told it's made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, and there's no doubt that Paul was praying throughout the night. And, and I'm sure as he woke up, he was praying. Perhaps even as he opened his mouth um, to start speaking to the council, he's praying. But the high priest didn't like the opening line um, and commanded that Paul be struck in the mouth. And we're not told how that went down, if there's like a hand signal or if he just gave him like a certain look. Um, and, and maybe you've picked up on this, that, that uh, there are like signals, uh, and, and there's a look for me like on Sundays. Like every every week I talk to the person leading music. So I talked to Peyton today. I'm like, hey, how does that song end? Because I don't want to like, I don't want to get up here and they've got a whole nother verse and chorus. It feels so awkward for me. You probably don't care, but I feel like so awkward when that happens. So just last week, right, Easter Sunday, we kind of feel a little more pressure. I'm talking to Matt. I'm like, hey, so what's the, what's the, like, what's the signal for the last song? Like, how do I know the last song? done. And he's like, okay, well, it's going to seem like the song's over, but then the drums are going to come back in. We're going to build up really big. So don't get faked out by that. And I'm just like, dude, can you just give me a look? <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So the song's going and I'm, and I'm listening. And there's this one part where it dies down. I'm like, was that it? Like, that could have been it. So I'm getting ready. I'm looking at Matt, just like staring into his face. I'm probably not even singing. And, and he's like, intentionally not looking at me because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to accidentally give me the look so finally he looks at me and goes and I know so anyway I don't know how it went down with the high priest but he gives some look maybe or some signal and, and then Paul gets nailed in the face I've never been punched in the face I've never really been in, in a fight I've been hit in the face like caught an elbow or a forearm like playing soccer or basketball, and, and there's something about getting hit in the face that a lot of us just kind of snap, right? Like you just, if you've been hit in the face, you know what I'm talking about. And, and Paul, for a moment here, I think he snaps, um, which is kind of nice to see that he, on some level, is a normal dude. Uh, but he, he reverts to some name calling here in verse three, right? He calls him a whitewashed wall, uh, meaning you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are just nasty, rotten like everybody else, all right? So this is true, but it's also name calling. He's mad. He lashes out a, a bit. I can't think of like a modern equivalent. Like back in the 90s, we would have called you a poser, but that's not exactly right. So I don't, I don't know what the kids say nowadays, but he calls him a whitewashed wall. And, and someone brings to Paul's attention that, that what he said uh, against the high priest is a no-no according to God's word. And Paul immediately apologize. He says, he says, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that he was the high priest, which is possible, right? It seems likely uh, that there's early in the morning, right? So this room's lit by like torches. It's dim in there. Scholars say it's doubtful that the high priest was in like his high priestly get up for this meeting. So it is totally plausible that, that Paul didn't know exactly uh, who the high priest was or didn't recognize him. Verse five, Paul says, I did not know brothers that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, some people, uh, a lot of people take this as sarcasm on Paul's part. Uh, Calvin does. Uh, I know there are others that are in that camp. Then there are others that, that think, no, Paul's not being sarcastic here. And I, I, I lean this way. Um, uh, I, I don't know that he's being sarcastic. And one reason is, is that Paul uses scripture to admit that, yep, you're not supposed to badmouth the ruler of your people. 
um, which I'm just hesitant to say that, that Paul's using uh, non-sarcastic scripture in a sarcastic way. But another reason is there's this theme, like, like I've said over and over again, uh, throughout the book of Acts, that, man, we see Christians um, paying respect to the authorities over them, right? Even when the authorities might not be living in respectful ways. Uh, again, this book is written to most excellent Theophilus, right? He's, he's some higher up in society, maybe a Roman official. And Luke seems to be showing over and over again that the Christians aren't out to overthrow Rome. They're not trying to uh, start riots. In Acts, Christians show tremendous restraint in the face of persecution, including at the hands of government. So the second way we see Paul handle himself is Paul is ready to admit when he's wrong. And we all know on some level, yeah, I need to get better at admitting when I'm wrong. But, but even specifically in this context here of trying to be a witness that points to Christ. But man, we, we know what it's like, right? We, we all want to be right, at least in, in moments. So it's hard to admit when we're wrong. And maybe there's certain people for you that, that it's particularly hard to admit you're wrong. Maybe it's your parents or maybe it's a sibling, or, or a friend, or, or maybe, man, that guy at work, he is just this know-it-all, and I hate telling him when I'm wrong. It has been well-documented for me that that person is my sweet wife, who is not a know-it-all. Uh, she just happens to have an impeccable track record of being right almost always, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, Every once in a while, I want to be right. It's my, it is my silly pride. Uh, but, but we know what it's like to want to be right. We know how hard it can be to admit when we're wrong. And I think that that can be intensified, actually, in a situation where there's opposition to what we believe about Jesus. At best, we don't want Christianity to look bad. We don't want Jesus to look bad, but at worst in our flesh, so often the concern has more to do with us looking like a fool. So are we, are we ready to admit when we're wrong, uh, right? When we're wrong about something, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's some, some challenge uh, brought against our beliefs. Are we ready to say like, man, I hadn't thought through that. I was wrong about that. Are we, are we ready when, when challenges come about Scripture or, or maybe, maybe about creation or whatever hot like social issue is going on, uh, the, the validity of the Bible, are we ready to, to speak about that? Uh, Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And here's how he says to do that. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and, and respect. Um, there are some people that have this perception that Christians don't think, like don't even really know much about what they believe. And I'm pretty sure that's because sometimes Christians don't think, right? Sometimes, sometimes Christians uh, just turn their brain off once they come to Christ. Man, when we come to faith, we need our brains fully engaged, right? It, it's great that we believe in God, that we love God. We're, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? We, we, need, we need to engage our brains. We need to be prepared to talk about the reasons that we have for our hope in Jesus, 
We need to be ready to talk about why we believe in the resurrection, right? Uh, about all these different things in scripture. I'm not saying we need to know everything about everything. That's not possible. But, but can we speak about why we're convinced that, that Jesus rose from the dead? Can we speak about why we trust in scripture? And when we're wrong, are we ready to admit it? Will we have the humility to say, man, that's a great point. And I actually think I've been thinking wrongly about that, or, or that's something I haven't thought through, or, or I realize you said this, I said this, I was wrong, you were right. That humility to some might be our greatest testimony. Verse six, this meeting with the council, it's not going well. Obviously, Paul's just been hit in the face. He had to apologize, but he has this realization. He realizes that part of the room is filled with Pharisees and part of the room is filled with Sadducees, right? And Luke explains here in, in a moment the, the difference between the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Pharisees believed that there would be a resurrection. They believed in angels. They, they believed in the, the supernatural, in spirits. Sadducees did not. So Paul's looking at this room of Pharisees and Sadducees and everyone's against him, right? And, and Paul Paul knew what would divide them, right? This, this issue of the supernatural. So Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a son of a Pharisee. Um, and, and so instantly he's got half the room going, oh, oh, oh yeah, you're one of us, right? I was gonna like talk politics for a second. I'm like, I'm not touching that. So I'm gonna go Blazers versus Lakers, okay? So let's pretend I'm in a room, everyone's against me. And I can perceive that there's Blazer fans in the room and there's Laker fans in the room. And, and I think, man, I can use this to my advantage. So I talk about the great Damian Lillard and his loyalty to Rip City. And then I say, and look at LeBron. He just goes everywhere he wants to win more rings. And he's great, I get it. But I'm using this to my advantage. And, and, and suddenly people are like, yeah, Dame is great. And that guy's a Blazer fan, Rip City. And suddenly I've got the force of Rip City behind me and they're fighting the Lakers fans. The Lakers fans are fighting them and I'm in the clear. That's not what happened here. It's way better what Paul did. But it worked. In verse 9, Pharisees stood up, right? Scribes of the Pharisees are saying, hey, what if, what if an angel really spoke to Paul and revealed this to him? And, and, and they're suddenly going against the Sadducees. Sadducees are going against them. The room is in an uproar. And the tribune is afraid that Paul is going to be torn to pieces. So he, he orders the soldiers to get him out of there by force. So this final example of how Paul handled himself is Paul was shrewd. Right? He reads the room, he makes a judgment, he makes a clever decision that was blessed by God. What Paul hoped uh, would happen did happen. We look at Jesus. Jesus was shrewd. Right? We think about how he dealt with opposition. Right? How many times did, did people try and trap Jesus with a question? Sometimes he answered questions plainly in situations like that. Many times he redirected their question or he asked a whole different question, flipped, flipped everything upside down. Jesus used shrewd judgment as he encountered those who opposed the gospel. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says this. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Man, who would think that Jesus would tell us to be like a serpent, especially given the story of Scripture? But he's saying there are times where, where Christians, you need to be like doves. And there are other times where you need to be like serpents, right? Like, like those, those snakes that, that can't be caught, and they're, they're good, they're cunning, they can get out of a situation. Certainly those who oppose the gospel are shrewd, and, and we too want to use good judgment Our brains, like I said earlier, ought to be working as we navigate a world that is often opposed to the message of the gospel. So we we want to use acute judgment as we face opposition to Christianity for the sake of the gospel. Paul's judgment, his cleverness here, um, as he read that room, it, it, it got him out of that situation. And as we'll see, it gave him more opportunities to share the gospel. And we'll see that as we continue in Acts. We'll end here in verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And, and this verse was obviously written specifically to Paul, right? You and I haven't been told that we're going to go testify in Rome. But, but what about here? Right? Where is God calling us to take courage? Because he's got opportunities for us to testify. But right? I, I wonder what opportunities God gave us even this last week. Now, where do we need God to help us courageously testify about him? My suspicion is that, that all of us probably had more opportunities to talk about Jesus this last week than we realized, right? Maybe it's because we're too focused on, on something in life, right? Maybe you're going through something just devastating this week, and, and you just you get that tunnel vision, so you missed opportunities. Or, or maybe it's not something devastating. Maybe it's uh, uh, something that you have in life that you've been working towards, and, and you're just kind of, you're laser-like focused on that um, and, and you've got this tunnel vision, so you're missing these opportunities that God has given you. But I guarantee when we're looking for opportunities to share about Jesus, we, we will find them, right? Kind of like when you, when you get a car that's new to you, suddenly that car, it just seems like it's everywhere. Like you kind of knew about it, but now it's everywhere. In, in college, I bought a, uh, I think it was like a 91 Volkswagen diesel Jetta. And I knew about Jettas before, but I'm telling you, the day I bought that car, it's like Jetta sales locally had gone through the roof and they were everywhere. I just noticed them all of a sudden everywhere. And it's, it's not that more Jettas were actually sold. I was just aware. I was looking. Um, I promise you, we miss gospel opportunities all the time. Um, even just in regular questions that people ask us. So uh, there's a track banquet this week. I heard they raised, I think, seventeen, eighteen thousand $18,000. Praise God for that. So if you were at the track banquet or maybe if you were bidding online, you weren't there, and someone asked you this week, like, hey, how was last week, right? You get to work Monday. How, how was last week? And you could tell them, oh, man, it was great. I went to, uh, I went to this, this banquet. Um, it's, it's for this camp that a bunch of churches come together to make a difference for foster kids. Um, and, it, and it costs a ton of money. So we're trying to raise money for that. It costs more than most camps. Um, but people from our church and these other churches, they do it because some of these kids don't get the same opportunities that, that others get. And, we, man, we just want to bless them. We want to make sure that these kids are seen, and, and we're hoping to tell them about Jesus. So, like, simple questions. Somebody asks you about your week, and you go, oh, man, this, this Jesus thing happened. This God thing happened in my life. Or, or maybe, maybe someone asks you, hey, you read anything good lately? 
And you can say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to read through the Bible, right? And actually, I've never read all the way through it before. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping this time to, to, that, that, I can, that I can read all the way through it. Or, or maybe, maybe you say, uh, man, yeah, I've, I've started a bunch of Bible read-throughs, but I've only finished a, a couple times. Like, man, be, be honest, be real um, about it. Or, or maybe you're reading a Christian book, right? Some, some Christian author about something. Like, yeah, I'm reading about... Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm reading about the, the homelessness problem in, in, on the West Coast and, and, and reading about how Christians like, should respond. Like, how, how do we biblically take this on? Um, and, and it doesn't have to be reading. I've realized in 2023, audiobooks count as reading now. Isn't that kind of cool? No, it's not cool. All right. Um, or maybe someone asked you last week as you got home uh, or as you got to work, someone asked you, hey, how was your Easter? And you could say like, oh yeah, it was great. Went to an Easter egg hunt, that was cool. Uh, had some family over, some friends over for, for an Easter lunch. Or you, you could say, man, it was awesome. We went to church and, and I just loved it. We, we, were in, we were in the Gospel of John. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but we were in John 20 and we were looking at, at this story of, of the disciples and they're hidden in the room. Jesus had risen from the dead. They'd heard he'd risen from the dead, but he wasn't there with them and they're, they're freaking out. They don't know what the Jews are gonna do to them. And, and man, you just get to, you get to talk about Jesus and the resurrection, right? Or, or maybe, maybe it's someone at school or at work that says to you like, hey, I've noticed like you're, you're different when, when everybody else starts gossiping about somebody at work or, or, or when, when everybody else starts making fun of someone else. Like, you don't join in. Like, you kind of, you just clam up and stop talking. Like, what's up with that? And, man, it's an opportunity to talk about your faith. It's an opportunity to say, yeah, man, God says that gossip is, is sin. And, and that's neat that you've seen that I don't do that. If I'm honest, man, I, I've done that too, right? Like, I, I know I've... I've hurt people that way. I've been hurt by gossip. And you can talk about the, the grace that, that God gives through Jesus. Or, or maybe, maybe it's in your house, like you have people over and, and you've got uh, maybe paintings or your, your decor somehow has something to do with Christ. And they ask like, hey, what's, what are those words on, on your chalkboard about? And you're like, oh man, that's actually from the Bible. And you talk about that or, or, or yeah, that's, that's, from, that's from this story in, in, in Israel's history. Um, I heard a, a cool, cool thing secondhand uh, this summer. Uh, this, this woman, she was looking at getting a tattoo, uh, I think on her arm. And it, it, at first she was just gonna get like the, uh, where it was in scripture, this, this verse. Um, I don't know what it was, Matthew 13 something. Um, and, and then she thought more about it and she's like, actually, I, I, she wanted to get a, a, um, like an artistic, a visual representation of this verse with the hope that people would go, oh, that's a cool tattoo. Like what's, what's that about? And then she could share like the gospel story with them, right? Instead of just having this verse, like she felt like this might be a, 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 a better avenue to start conversations with people. So if you needed help justifying your next tat, there you go. Um, but, but we've been conditioned in our country for years now uh, to not talk politics, not talk religion. Um, we, we cannot shy away from testifying about Jesus. Right? The, the world needs to hear the good news. Right? The, the world needs to know that, that we're in desperate need and, and that Jesus came, that, that he lived the, the perfect life that we could not live, that we're incapable of, 
that he died the death that we deserve to die, that he rose on the third day, that he offers forgiveness of sins if we will put our faith in him, right? If we will give him ourselves, they need to hear that. This, this world needs to hear that. I've never regretted trying to talk to people about Jesus. I have plenty of regrets of deciding not to talk to people, of, of saying no to opportunities to talk about Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you that, um, that you are a God, that you love us enough to die for us on that cross, that you rose from the dead, Jesus, that, that you, you didn't just then offer us salvation and leave us alone, but you are with us, that you will return for your people, God. As we're, we're about to receive the bread and the cup, God, would you help us to long for heaven, Lord? Would you help us to long for eternity, God? And, and would you help us to long for others to be at that table with us, Jesus? Would you help us to be a people that, that man, even though we don't feel courageous, that you would help us to be courageous and talk about you, Lord, everywhere we go. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.